J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm delighted to have on my show Andy Kirkwood. Andy Kirkwood is a British writer who today lives in Swanage, a small south coast town on the Isle of Purbeck. Within view of the Isle of Wight, and it's a fabulous island, everybody, it really is. He was born in 1957, and Andy's profession was an electronics engineer. At 30, Andy elected to have to travel the world, completing three circumnavigations, and that must be something, everybody, and was shocked to witness firsthand the ravages mankind was inflicting on the natural environment that we all rely upon for life. So this is a fascinating book, everybody, and I really do need you to listen to what Andy has got to say because it is absolutely wonderful. Andy, please come and join me on the show. Thank you, John. I'd be delighted to. You're very, very welcome. Your book is amazing. It's so powerful and it is brilliantly written. Ah, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had several chats, everybody, and uh, they have been thoroughly enjoyable and we've had a good banter. We have. We have. <laughs> so, Andy, it seems to me you, you've had... Um, what I might um, call um, a normal upbringing, whatever, you know, whatever normal uh, might be these days. So what was it that kick-started um, your path to becoming an activist? Yeah, um, I had the great good fortune, really, to lose my job and uh, 30, so I decided to go travelling. Uh, quite a big step for me at the time, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but... Um, the first circumnavigation of the world, um, everywhere I went was having the hottest, the coldest, the wettest, the latest, the earliest, the temperatures, rainfall, everything was off the scale everywhere. And I came back, this was 1987, and I came back and said, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but something's going on with the planet. And that was way before... Um, anybody started talking about climate change or global warming or anything and nobody listened to me at the time and uh so uh, i started kind of uh trying to get that message out and then the rest of the book is sort of the adventure of how you come you know how do you do that how do you get this out because um a lot of us have issues that we feel very uh strongly about we do but how do you, how do you get that message across? People do some extreme things, don't they, to try and get it across? Across, um, you know, fathers for justice, you know, dressing up as Batman and standing on a ledge all day in London or something. You know, how do you get your message across? How do you get people to listen? How do you get people to act? And and more to the point, how do you try and get governments to act um, in an appropriate manner? It's a very difficult thing to do. So that's that was that. Yes, I mean, we all have strong views on certain things, you know, on, you know, climate change. And I agree with you there. Um, your book, Andy, explains your efforts in, you know, trying to awaken people. Um, I'm fascinated to know, could you tell us about this, you know, this awakening? Yeah. 
this yeah, is what your work is about. Delighted to. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the the book really is multifaceted, but the, the first part is to is like an autobiography, a journey about how how do you go about trying to awaken people? Because uh, and I just sat down and thought about you know what can I do about it? Well, first thing you do is you talk about it. You tell people. You tell as many people as you can. You try and light blue touch papers. You hope that people take the information on board and that they go and tell their friends and you start some kind of avalanche that way. Um, and then I thought about maybe just creating a website, sanity, and having you know what would you choose? Would you choose do you choose the way it is because the way the world is is not that great, or would you rather have it you know a, a different way? And the difference between having it the way it is and the way that really works, it turns out is not that great. You don't have to make much of a sacrifice for that. Um, and then I started doing uh, satirical stand-up comedy because then you've got an audience and you're making people laugh. And there are plenty of comedians who've done that. I'm a, a massive um, fan of Bill Hicks. He's one of my all-time favourites. Um, who gets can get a message across in just a couple of lines. Um, and he's absolutely brilliant at it. Um, you know, he does this sketch... Um, yeah, Iraq. Yeah, terrible weapons of mass destruction. Terrible weapons of mass destruction. Oh, how do you know? Uh, oh, well, we looked at the receipts because the Americans sold the you know this stuff to Iraq in the first place, and um, uh, you know it makes people laugh. But you go away with that piece of information. Um, I started working for a radio stations, so I could kind of you know have a wider audience. <clears throat> Excuse me, trying to get through this stuff. Um, and then it struck on me that standing as you know for the MP seat was a good way because uh, you promote yourself from the audience where you're gritting your teeth, listening to this garbage that these people up on the stage are telling you because they don't have free will. Um, you know, if you're a member of the Conservative Party, you have to say what the Conservatives say. You can't exercise free will. Uh, and you get up on the stage and then you can say, what do you think? Because you're an independent and you say what you think. I had a political party called the Movement for Active Democracy. Um, and the acronym is MAD. And I thought that was kind of a bit, you know, bumper stickerable. You know, don't go crazy. Go mad. Come on, go mad, everybody. It's time to go <laughs> mad. And, you know, just to try and get people to go. Because I want people to go mad. You've got to go mad. But what you're trying to do is unravel a lifetime of programming that they've put into you from when you were four years old when you were so gullible, you've got no defences when you're four when you turn up at school. They start getting this stuff into you and you'll just soak it up like a sponge because you don't go, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, working nine to five Monday to Friday is normal. Why, why, is that, why are we working five days and only having two days off? You don't never questioned it because you got, they got that into you when you were five or four or whatever it was. And so we never question these things. We go through all through our lives going, oh, it's great, isn't it? I get four weeks holiday a year. So they go, why am I working 48 and having four off and not working four and having 48 off? Nobody questions it because, anyway, I'm diverse. I'm, I'm going off on a tangent, as usual. But, um, and then a lo- because of that, a local paper said, look, we'll give you a page. And so I started writing articles and, um, and then I started getting quite a following. One of the teachers, local teachers at school was... Uh, using them for their general studies because um, everybody can see an issue. But my articles were seeing an issue and then suggesting a very simple solution. Um, and that's basically was the journey. 
there. Mm. You mentioned that, you know, going back to the articles you mentioned, you know, your book covers a number of them uh, that highlight problems and, you know, provide um, satisfactory solutions that you have published uh, in a decade ago. You, you then evidence the absence of progress and any of them in a decade. Why do you think that you're still having to do this, still yes. having to come up with the, you know, the simple solution and talk about it? Yeah, but the, well, that is, that is really what led to the revelation because if you go down to the pub and you talk to your friends, everybody goes, well, what they should be doing is this and what they should be doing is that. And why don't they do this? And why don't they? Why don't they? And you know, they, why don't, but the truth is that uh, of all of the issues that I addressed and suggested very simple solutions for, not one single one was addressed by government. Not one. Now, you know, if they got half of them sorted out, you'd kind of think, oh, well, that's, you know, not a bad hit rate. I suppose we can live with that. Really, they should have got, in 10 years, you should have them all sorted out. But we're just going round and round in circles. And you realise that the reason is, it's because the government don't make decisions. They follow orders. And the people who give them the orders don't want them to solve the problems. They want us to be in need. They want us to have things in short supply. They want us to be not able to quite make ends meet because that's what keeps us on our toes. That's what's, Once you give people the luxury of time, they start thinking. A good example would be the students, student union was a massive force in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Really powerful uh, because they got a student grant and they had money coming in and we don't have to go to work and we just get this money coming in. And so they sit around in the common room and they start and they go on marches and they organise and they did all this sort of anti-government stuff. And that disappeared when they took away the student grants because they all had to go and stack shelves because they had to make ends meet so they haven't got time anymore and student the national unions of students just basically disappeared because people didn't have the time so it's all about control which is also why they prefer people to get married and get big mortgages and all that sort of thing because you're so busy chasing a tail trying to pay everything that you don't have time to think and who would you rather control would you rather control 12 guys who are single and got loads of money and going down the pub and chatting about the state of the country, or would rather control 12 guys who've got huge mortgages, four kids, and don't step out of line. So you talk about, you know, solutions. Yes. You know, simple solutions. Yes. What are your simple solutions? Well, if I mean, if I can use one, I mean, there's an awful Please. lot of talk at the moment about um, climate change. I've been banging on about it since 1987. The first thing I want to say about it is there's a lot of people out there who, to my mind, extraordinarily don't agree, don't agree with climate change. And the reason they don't agree that climate change is happening is because the government or the people who control the government are implementing measures which are not clearly not addressing climate change. They're using climate change as a weapon. They're weaponizing climate change to increase control on our lives, um, like these 15-minute cities that are going to be springing up all over the place, where they're going to have barriers that stop you going from one part of the city to the other. That is not about climate change. That is about changing Britain to, into China. But they're selling it to us as this is a way of tackling climate change. Really, you're going to stop people driving around their city, but you can still drive up and down the motorway. 
that's going to solve climate change. It's a nonsense. It's clearly a nonsense. And it's an evil step to, uh, to, to control smart meters, evil step to control because they can, can turn your heating on and off as they choose remotely. You don't get a smart meter, whatever you do. And, um, then, um, oh, I've lost, slightly lost my, where am I going here? <laughs> so I want to bring you back here. Oh, yeah. I yeah. want to talk to you about in your book. Oh yes, yeah, sorry, that's right. The, you the, the are thing. talking, Andy, yeah, about gonna, okay, climate change. I was going to write yeah. about climate change. So, um, okay, this is how this is how you solve climate change, John. You the you extract energy from the oceans. The the tidal streams of the oceans don't happen just along the coast. They don't happen just along the beach. The whole Atlantic, Pacific, Indian Oceans are shifted backwards and forwards or bulged up and down towards the sun and the moon four times a day. Up and so down we're down. talking wave power and we're talking solar power. No, we're talking we're talking currents, deep sea Current. currents. Okay. okay. Now the, the bottom That's interesting. The bottom of the sea isn't flat. It's got rain hills and mountains and da da da. So you get currents focused in certain areas. Remember the when the Kursk um, submarine. Um, had that problem, the yes, Russian yes. submarine. And they couldn't get a submersible down to it because they had 16 knots of current going past it. 16 knots of current. Air, I forget exactly, is about five or seven times denser. Um, water is five or seven times denser than air. It's a huge amount of power. When you, whenever, and whenever you stood in a tidal stream or when you stood in the waves, you know exactly how much power is going on there. Um, and... Uh, Deep sea turbines um, placed in an array under the uh, on the seabed, um, then uh, it's completely predictable. It's not like wind where oh, we've got no wind today, therefore we've got no power. Completely predictable. You want to see how much power you get from it at three minutes past ten uh, on January the fourteenth, two thousand twenty-seven. Well, let's look it up because we know exactly how the tides are going to be running, and. Um, it's out of sight, it's out of mind, um, and it's energy forever and ever, amen. And, and because uh, tide, tidal streams run at different places at different times, you never have a downside. This one's coming on, this one's coming off. And the really clever about, thing about it is that um, the, uh, the sea relinquishes the energy as heat. So you um the more energy you extract from the uh, oceans the more you start to cool them the more you start to cool them, the more you start to reverse climate change global warming because we're not a closed system some of the heat would then be radiated in space some of it stays in we'll go back to the sea but and so you start combating climate change as well so we're not only we've got infinite energy the, the gravitational pull of the sun and the moon around the earth is essentially a perpetual motion machine for us it's an, you know, and we're not tapping into it properly. And it's so obvious. It's such an obvious solution. But they don't want an obvious solution. They want us to be in need. And there's the thing. They will do loads of lip service about climate change, but they don't. They're not. They don't I, I, I want to come to I want to come to something else here, Andy, because you've already touched upon this. And you said, you know, about annual, but you claim the government is not making decisions, but following orders. Yes. Surely this is an extreme view for most people to understand. Now, I think you're talking about, because you're talking in your book about Chatham House. Yes. 
This is what you're getting at here, isn't it? Tell us yes. about that. Okay. <clears throat> well, if I start from the bottom up, excuse me, <clears throat> most people only see um, as far as their MP. That you, that we're told that we live in, an, in a democracy. We do not live in a democracy. We live in a representative democracy, but you never get that first word. It's exactly like saying, I'm on a diet. Oh, that's good. A chocolate cake diet. Oh, that's bad. It's exactly like that. A represent Choosing a representative to represent your views is an absolute joke. How can that person, A, represent you, B, represent 20 or 30,000 or whatever it is people in his or her constituency? It's, it's an impossible thing to do. Mm. Then, moving up one, the next step, that person is likely to be a member of one of two or three very large political parties. Once you are, a, say, a conservative, you now have to spout conservative stuff. You can't say what you think. You have to say what the conservatives think. And then, if you, even if a subject comes up in the House of Parliament and you're sitting there, oh, well, well, let's take it one step back. If your representative happens to be Labour and the conservatives are in, your representative has no power. So that's a complete joke anyway. Your, your MP has no power other than being a councillor for local issues, has no power at all because they're outvoted. So half of the people in Britain's um, MP doesn't have any power whatsoever. The other ones are told how to vote because they have whipping. And whipping is, uh, if you don't go along with the party line on a vote... You lose the whip. You lose the whip and, and, and several things happen. One, you don't become the candidate next time. Two, your career is in tatters because you sit on the back benches and you're never going to go anywhere. You're never going to go on the telly. You're never going to be anyone. Three, um, if they really don't like you, they keep a dossier on every MP of all the nasty things that you've been up to in your private life. And suddenly those pictures from the sauna appear on the front page of the sun and your, and your marriage is wrecked. And, that's and they absolutely do that. That's well, well known. So the MP has no power. So moving up, if you suppose you are a yes man, you don't care about your morals, you just care about furthering your career, and you say yes to everything, like, for example, Jim Knight, when I was standing um, for Parliament, uh, um, he voted in line with his party leader on every single issue uh, for his whole three terms. And the only time he voted against the government was on the... Uh, issue of the docking of working dogs' tails. That was his sole contribution in three years, was to vote against the government on that. And it's a nonsense. So, you, so okay, so you've moved up into cabinet. So now you're, you, you're, now you're really, um, you know, you've just said yes all the time to everything and you've been promoted and now you're on the inner circle. Okay, now every minister has a permanent secretary. The permanent secretaries, you don't, you can't name me a permanent secretary. They're there. The permanent secretaries are there. They're advising, advising. But the, but they are they are the permanent secretaries aren't generating the information themselves. They're not waking up in the middle of the night and advising the defence minister what to do. They're not, a, you know, and and who pays the permanent secretaries? Here's a oh, they're public servants. Are they? they must be paid by us? No, they're paid by the crown. They work for the now king. He's their boss. Not, not us. So when you're paid by somebody, who do you who do you work for? So you work for work for the crown. 
And then the permanent secretaries get their information from Chatham House. And Chatham House is, is, is disguised, is hidden in plain sight as a think tank. And uh, so, oh, that's really good. They're a think tank. They're just people who are very, very intelligent and very, very wise. And they're just advising us. No, that's where the power comes from. That's where the information comes from. If you want to be on the presidential circle of Chatham House, it costs you £60,000 a year. Last time I looked, it's probably gone up. Those people are sitting there deciding what should happen. And who's on there? Who's got £60,000 of spare money floating around to be able to sit on the presidential circle? Not you or I, certainly. So you've got people from banks and big corporations. They are generating policy. The policy is then being fed to the permanent secretaries. The permanent secretaries are telling the ministers. The ministers, are, you know, the, the, the cabinet is making the decision. Your MP has to vote on it and we have to go along with it. So Chatham House are running us. Because when I look at your book, Andy, your book leads us to a conclusion that democracy is an illusion of choice um, to to pacify the masses by fooling them into thinking that by voting they are affecting a change when they are not. As all incumbent governments are controlled by the same hidden powers, you've already touched on that, you know, Chatham House and powers that be, you know, big businesses, big corporations. Um, if we are to assume this is the case, then what is the solution to this? You've talked about it. So what's okay. the solution? <laughs> well, um, first of all, you have to understand that what they need to do is they need to construct a two-horse race. It's got to be exciting. So one horse has to win, then the other horse has to win. The red horse wins and the blue horse wins. And that's why if you look through, go historically through who was the incumbent party since, say, the First World War, and you will see that they get two terms, they get two or three terms, they get two or three terms, they get two or three terms. It swaps. It's like, like a pendulum ticking from one side to the other. And the reason it does that is because people, they're fooling people into thinking, oh, I'm a Conservative and now we're winning. Oh, I'm Labour and now I'm winning. Oh, now we're winning. Oh, we must win next time. Oh, we must. And so it becomes this, this thing of Labour versus, versus Conservative. It's a nonsense. It doesn't matter which horse is winning because it's the same people controlling both horses. So it makes no difference which way you vote. And they fiddle the elections, and it's very easy to see once you notice it, in that the incumbent party, if they want to get rid of them, they will start making them extremely unpopular. There'll be masses of really unpopular stuff coming out in the press, like the stuff with Rishi Sunak's man and all this fiddling, you know. They're definitely want to get the Conservatives out and Labour will win the next election without a shadow of a doubt. And all this stuff with Jon Snow and the swingometer, oh, it's like a football game, oh, they've gained here and they've lost there, it's nonsense. It's a charade, it's a joke. In America, all the balloons are going up and all the ticker tape and all this rah, 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 and the stickers, and the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a facade because the people who control the government are the same. It makes no difference. So what you have to do is you have to get rid of them. You have to get rid of this system. It doesn't work. It's working against us. It's not a democracy. And now we have the technology for the first time ever to have a proper Athenian democracy. Democracy comes from the Greek, demoskratia, the people rule. And that's what we need is the people ruling. It's so easy because now don't vote on people, vote on issues. Do you want to have 
nuclear submarines. They're going to cost you a cool 120 billion. And by the way, you know, Russia will probably lob a couple of nuclear missiles over if we do have them. Do you want that? Or would you rather have to spend the money somewhere else? Put in your national insurance number, put in your seven digit pin, have chain, a blockchain technology so that it can't be fiddled. So everything is kind of transparent, even though you have your identity hidden. And you just vote. Oh, I think I'm going to vote on that personally. No, I don't want that. There you go. I've just voted. And don't make it a make it a, a yes or no decision. Yes or no is a nonsense. How much do you want it? Out of ten, how important are nuclear submarines to you? Oh, for me, they're only one out of ten. Oh, for me, they're eight out of ten. Well, fine. That's fine. And then what happens is everybody puts their input as to what they want. This is our country. Our country. We pay the taxes. We are the people. This is our country. It's not their country. We're not. We're just serfs. We're subservient to these people, who are who are raping us, taking our finances, controlling us, ushering us about, causing us trouble. Get rid of them. And the only way to do that is to win an election. You need a, you need people to stand, and you need people to win an election on the basis that we have direct democracy. One person, one vote on everything and then you can decide and then a conversation down the pub with your mates isn't just a conversation down the pub anymore you are actually deciding your future because forget what government thinks what do the people want and then that's 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 the solution so you know i mean a lot of this is in your book you know which i've read and it's it's fascinating um good i just want to (laughs) move (laughs) I want to move on just a little. Absolutely. Um, Andy, what's next for you? You know, are there any more books coming down the line? Because you've done this one. Are you going to write any more books? Yeah, I already have written a book. It's a travel book. Very, very different. Um, It's called Across the Darien and Other Bonkers Escapades. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a travel book. It was about So there's more to come from Andy Kirkwood. Yeah, it's more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Andy, who do you see as your market for your book? Um, but more importantly, who would you like to see read in your book? You know, young people. Everybody. Oh, needs everybody. Read, everybody needs to read this book. It, it's about awakening a sleepwalking population. People don't like to be referred to as sleepwalking sheep. But the, the thing to remember, John, is that I was also one of those people. The first time somebody told me that the prime minister wasn't in control, I thought he was insane. I just went, are you joking? Of course he is. I see it on the news all the time. Of course the prime minister's top of the... No, the prime minister is sergeant major rank. You don't even know who the officer corps are. It's sergeant major, she is sergeant major, who tells us the troops to go over the top when they blow the whistle. You don't know the people who are making the plans. You don't know the people who are orchestrating everything. But if you think the government is at the once you realise that the government is not at the top, that the government is not making decisions, it all starts coming clear. But it's a but they put this into your head when you were four or five when you had no you'd had no filter for it. But your whole life experience is that the, I'm telling the truth. Your whole life, if you look at every single experience you've had with government in your life, you will know that they are not acting in our best interests. Interesting views. Um, yeah. Andy, where can people get yeah, your books is. from? 
Sorry? Where can uh, people get your books from? They can get them from me. <laughs> I've, I've got a few. <laughs> Amazon? All my, all my friends and family got Christmas. Yeah, you can get them on Amazon. And uh, I don't know, all these famous sort of bookstory kind of places, yeah. There so, you go, everybody. Andy Kirkwood. Just put in, put in the one bill fix, you find it. Thank yeah. you. Andy Kirkwood, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been fascinating. Enlightening, John. Enlightening. Enlightening, indeed. Yeah, good. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate your time. So, I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you are in the world. Until next time, stay safe.